Isaiah chapter number 37, verse 21. Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord God says to you. Because you pray to me concerning uh, King Sennacherib of Assyria, this is what the Lord says about him the virgin daughter of Zion despises you and she makes fun of you daughter Jerusalem shakes her head after you whom you whom have you taunted and hurled insults at at whom you have shouted and looked so arrogantly at the Holy One of Israel through, though your mess, through your messengers you have taunted the sovereign master and with my chariots I climbed up the high mountains the slopes of Lebanon I cut down all its cedars and its best evergreens I invaded its utmost regions the thickest woods I dug wells and drank water with the soles of my feet I dried up all the rivers of Egypt Certainly you must have heard. Long ago I worked it out, in ancient times I planned it. And now I'm bringing it to pass. The plan is this. Fortified cities will crash into heaps of ruins. Their residents are powerless and they are terrified and ashamed. They are as short-lived as plants in their field or green vegetation. They're short-lived as grass on the rooftops when it is scorched by the east wind. I know where you live and everything you do and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and the uproar you create has reached my ears. I will put a hook in your nose and my bridle between your lips and I will lead you back the way you came. This will be a reminder that I have spoken the truth. This year you will eat that which grows wild and next year what grows on its own. But the year after that, you will plant seed and harvest crops. You will plant vines and consume their produce. Those who take root and remain in Judah. Those who remain in Judah will take root in the ground and will bear fruit. For a remnant will I leave in Jerusalem. Survivors will come out of Mount Zion. The intense devotion of the Lord who commands armies will accomplish this. So this is what the Lord says to the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city, nor will he shoot an arrow here. And he will not attack it with his shielded warriors, nor will he build up siege works against it. 
He will go back the way he came, and he will not enter this city, says the Lord. I will shield this city and rescue it for the sake of my reputation and because of my promise to David, my servant. Nothing word, will, nothing word will stop your true expression that will take place in this city. And Lord, we agree with you this morning that you put a shield of protection and a wall around this city for a great outpouring of your spirit. That as we stand as the survivors out of Zion, as we stand as a remnant is being united and brought together, Lord, for a stronghold in this city. Lord, we ask you to release your warring angels and your warring hosts, Lord, against the nature of Assyria, the nature of Sennacherib, and is a, like the taunts of the enemy that comes against the people of God. And we say, Lord, this morning that we believe you. That in this place will come forth great provision like it did in the days of Hezekiah when they opened up the temple of the Lord. That you will bring great blessing down on this house, Lord. That you will cause this house to be glory. That this house will honor you and magnify you. That many more of the survivors of the remnant will be brought together and unite in this house will go forth great peace and a great blessing great authority and even as you descended into hell and took the keys to death of hell and the grave you will be magnified in this place and glorified place will be a transfer from heaven to earth to earth. That in this place, so aptly named, that heaven will collide with earth. As we wait on you, Lord, as we trust you, that out of the earth will come forth an abundance, a great harvest, Lord.
Would you fall like fire upon us now? And not my will, but yours be done now. And would you fall like rain and wash me? Open up the floodgates and let the river run
we don't gain access. Lord, we don't gain access except by your blood and your son. Turn your eyes into the sun. Turn your eyes into the sun. Father, Father, come. Come, come. Oh, Father, Father, come. Come. We of the king's countrymen will return to be reunited with the people of Israel. And the Lord will assume his post and he will shepherd this people by his own strength, by the sovereign authority of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for at that time he will be honored distant regions of the earth and he will give us peace 
the Assyrians try to invade our land? Should they even attempt to set foot in this fortress? He was sent against them. Seven shepherd rulers. Make that eight commanders. They will rule the land of Assyria with a sword. The land of Nimrod with a drawn sword. The king will rescue us from the Assyrians. Should they attempt to invade our land. And if they try to set their foot in our territory. Those survivors from Jacob will live in the midst of many nations. They will be like the two of the Lord when he sends it in rain, when he sends it on the grass. They don't hope for men to come or wait around for humans to arrive. Those survivors from Jacob will be among the nations the midst of many peoples they will be like a lion among the animals of the forest like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep which attacks when it passes through it rips its prey and there is no one to stop it lift your hand triumphantly against your adversary may all your enemies be destroyed In that day, says the Lord, I will destroy your horses from your midst and smash your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your fortresses. I will remove the sorcery that you practice. And you will no longer have omen readers living among you. I will remove your idols and your sacred pillars from your midst. You will no longer worship what your hands have made. I will uproot the images of Asherah from your midst and destroy the idolatry in the land. I will angrily seek vengeance on the nations that do not obey me.
so I, I'm just getting this word out of Mark chapter, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Um, it says, now after some days, when he returned to Capernaum, Capernaum was a town on the uh, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, I find this interesting because it had, it had, um, Capernaum was 680 feet below sea level. But it was also a major trade and economics uh, center in northern, in the north of Galilee. You know, many of you know in here because the Lord's been painting a picture for us that we were going down into the depths of the, like as unto the Jordan, and this ministry was crossing over into the Jordan to go into <clears throat> into a dwelling place of God, and that that's what we're believing the Lord for. But in this uh, Mark chapter 2, he had went down, he was in a place that was 680 feet below sea level in Capernaum. So uh, many, many gathered to him in that place in the lower part of that room. And in, even so much by the door that the door is uh, being blocked so that no one else can come into the room. And some people came bringing to him a paralytic that was carried by four of them. And when they were not able to bring him in because of the crowd, and this is a really interesting phrase, they removed the roof that was above Jesus. And uh, I'm sure you probably have heard this message preached before. But a, a lot of times in our life, you know, the Lord will tell us to move out by faith and go trust him. And you, you can come up to a door and that door has opposition on it or you can't get through the door. And you have one frame of reference that this is the way to bring about this next move in my life is to go through this door but you find that the door is blocked for some reason you can't get through it and so a lot of times this happens in our life and a lot of times what happens is when you come up against a door like that because you're saying yes to the Lord a lot of people get discouraged there and they say they back away and they say that can't be the Lord that 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 door that that's my passage through is through that door you know what i'm saying like when god tells you to move out by faith and you trust him you go check the door and the door won't open for you and you're just like i did what you said lord i believed you right and, and so a lot of people they just back away right there and I, I imagine that these men they were coming around this house that's in this you know this lower part and they're checking the doors all around the house. And they're saying, like, will this door work? You know, because God gave me a word, and we believe he's in there preaching, and, 
And this thing could be a victory for us if we could just get through the door. And they check the next door on the house and it's locked or it's blocked off. You can't get in. Like I, I, I know he's in that house. I know that he has a plan for me. He has a victory for me and my family. He has a victory. There's a victory, and I, you know, I don't know what all of our circumstances are always in this room, but we check the door, and he's not, we find he's not at that door, and you can't get through. Remind you, you're 680 feet below sea level. You're already into a place that, like Gideon was, a place of, which would be like a depression. You're already in a dark place. It's not like it's on top of the mountain. He's down in the valley, down underneath the, down underneath the water. He's submerged in a way in this town. And the soul, you know, goes through these deeper places of darkness. They start to check the door to believe God by faith. And, and y'all know this story because. Literally, if you imagine, like them saying, well, there's ladders on the outside of the, a ladder on the outside of the flat top roof. We'll just climb up the ladder. And so you start to see this ascension. They start to move up the outside of the house. But what are they thinking? I mean, is there a door up at the top, on top of the roof of the house? I mean, Jesus is down in the room, and if we could just get to him, I mean, if we could just get where he's at, if we could just be in his presence, if we could be where the Lord is, he's in there, I can imagine I mean, he's so filled with love. He's so filled with life. He's, they know that if they can just get near him. These four men, they, they've got to have a different mindset and a different way of doing things. They had to be radical. They had to believe. They had to be of a different sort. They had to be of a different kind of mentality. They also had to not be too good to get their hands dirty and get their fingernails messed up. They also had to have some kind of understanding that whoever's house this is that we're going to break into rain could come in through the top of the roof they've got to be somebody that knows that we're going to tear this roof off but we're going to patch it back i mean they got to have some kind of skill set in the manual labor field because they're going to have to fix back what they tore up they're, they're of a different mentality i i just can imagine it. hold on little guy we know you've been paralyzed your whole life and you can't get up and walk, but we've got a plan. 
and they start tearing the thatch off the top of that roof that's made out of straw and mud and it's hardened because and baked in because the sun it's like whatever we got to do I mean, I, I'm wondering what Jesus is thinking while dirt's falling on his hair and everybody else and this roof is opening up. This is a different mentality. This isn't easy. This doesn't make any sense. You don't tear the roof off of another man's house. This means that you got to break barriers. This is all the stories that you've heard about building barriers. This is violating barriers. We want to be next to you, Lord. I'm not too good for this. I'm, I'm not afraid of what the homeowner is going to say. If I can just get near him. I know that if I can just get near him. We could just be near him. tells a man, rise up and walk. I believe that this next end time move that we're sitting on will be characterized. Oh, he wants, oh, he wants to bring great forgiveness in our life. Come here. 
come near them. It's not going to just be about putting arms and legs on people.
Amen. Thank you, Leander. There you go. You got a double amen this morning. I am, as Cab here in the Lord, just say, you know, why don't I just tell you a little story of this last week and what the faithfulness of the Lord to us as a corporate body. Um, Because, you know, you can tell we're up against making this transition. You You can feel it in spirit. And, of course, everything would want to resist what is about to really come forward in this ministry and what God is doing. And so it's fine. Uh, what's, I mean, we trust you, Lord, and we believe in your resurrection life and power. But what has characterized us in the past will not characterize us necessarily going forward. And um, I just want to share this little story that, that some of you know this, and I've mentioned this, but... I want to highlight the vision and uh, highlight what I believe the Lord is saying to us. And what happened this last week um, uh, with with our family and how it relates to this ministry. Um, As you know, like, I guess it was four or five weeks ago, we were in here and I mean, the spirit of God was so strong. I mean, I like... I never felt his spirit probably that strong in my life. And I, and I, and I hear the spirit of the Lord say to me, um, you know, that he had, he, he said, how do you, how do you think it feels to be homeless? And um, I was like, oh no, you know, and he said, um, I, I have the, I desire a dwelling place with my people. And uh, it was reminiscent, took me back to King David in Psalms 132 and the vow he makes. And he says, I've, I'm going to go and find a place for the Lord. And then he says, uh, find dwelling place for the mighty God of Jacob. And he makes this kind of statement that's really profound. He says, I'll not give sleep to my eyes nor slumber to my eyelids until I find out that place. And then he says, I find a fine dwelling place for the Lord. And then he'll go on and speak of another place called a resting place. And so in Psalms 132, this vow David makes is, excuse me, to find a place. I believe the Hebrew is makom or something like that. And then, um, then the next resting, excuse me, dwelling place is a mishka, mishka hut or something like this. And then he, then he talks about a resting place. And I... Had this sense from the work as I was asking him, I was like, "What was going on in his heart, and and what were they after?" And he's like, "He was after a place, and and then a dwelling place, and then a resting place." And I, I, uh, I got that kind of framework put into my understanding, and the uh, Holy Spirit like confirms with me that when we came here into YMI, that we had found a place, but that He was seeking a a dwelling place. And so, not too long after that, when I start to understand that God would seek a place, a dwelling place, and a resting place among his people, um, I hear another uh, preacher preach on that, and he gets into the dwelling place of God and the resting place of God. And he talks about the difference between the dwelling place and the resting place because he says um, that... The idea was is that when God doesn't have to strive with men anymore, that he didn't have to get us into his determination of 
His sovereign rule and governing of our life that God would finally rest among His people. And so I realized that we were in an intermediary place between that, and then the Holy Spirit started to lay into my understanding um, this, this, this understanding of what happened to King David when he crossed the Jordan heading west in uh, Absalom's rebellion. Are you all familiar with that story? And it's more towards the end of his reign, and not at the beginning of his uh, beginning of his reign, but towards the end of his reign. And I, it's kind of like I understood from the Lord that he was had used David's life at the beginning of his reign to get us here, but he was using David's life more at the end of his reign to get to a dwelling place because David is going to go from place to dwelling place, and then Solomon is going to see. A resting place, because right, Solomon was known as a man of what? He was a man of rest or a man of peace. Of course, David was known as a man of what? War. war. And, and so a lot of war characterized David's uh, life and his ministry before the Lord was warfare. And you see some of that in this house, uh, pressing in and a, an aggressiveness to come in and take what has been lost to man. Everybody okay? <laughs> okay, we're okay. Okay. All right, to take, a, to take a, and for a dwelling place for God. When David, though, is cast out of Jerusalem by his own son Absalom, he crosses the Jordan River, and he goes over there to a place called Mahanim, which means the dance of two camps. Because there's a war in the spirit. There's a war between God's house and, the, and God's dwelling place among man and man ruling. And of course we know Absalom, he's going, he wants to govern and rule out of his own beauty and his own desire. And he's not, and, and some of the people, many of the people kind of uh, spurned after him. They wanted, they wanted him and they wanted man to rule them instead of God to rule through a man. Because David had a heart for, for the Lord. And because, David, though, wouldn't like, hold his own in, in his kingship. He, he had learned from the Lord to resist trying to enforce his own rule. Which is the absolute opposite of the way a lot of leadership has acted and things like that. Because he wouldn't force his own governing or his own rule. He knew that everything he had received came from the Lord. And so if the Lord was displeased with him, with his son Absalom, then David would not hold the reins on the place that God had given him in Jerusalem. And he would go to the wilderness and wait on the Lord. Maybe the Lord would stay that way with him and he wouldn't be pleased to bring him back. But David was not going to lift one finger to bring himself back to Jerusalem. Well, I told you all this story because it was, really, it was really important in the life of this ministry. Because 12 years ago, before MZ Hop started, I, I had met Kirk Bennett, who had Zadok House of Prayer, and I shared this story with you. And, and the Lord tells me one day, because Kirk and his son Isaac had 
and, and their family and a bunch of other families from Kansas City have planted a work in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they had been there for some time, and the ministry was kind of drying up. And the Holy Spirit shares with me one night, he said, I'm going to send Zadok and Abathar back to Kansas City. And, I, and I'm going to leave you, and he's our ministry, and he, he said, David, he spoke to me like this, I'm going to leave this ministry in the wilderness. And I said, oh, man, that's not cool. I don't, I don't want to stay in the wilderness, you know. And he said, I, I'm going to leave this ministry in the wilderness, and I'm going to send them back. And the next day, Kirk sends out this big email to all his people. I'm going back to Kansas City. I mean, I, I heard this from the Lord, and the Lord tells me. And I think I wrote him that night, and he says, how did you know? Nobody knows this. It's like just between me and Mike Bickle. And I was like, the Lord told me. Because it was really important. I didn't know how important it would be until now. So they go back to Kansas City and Mike puts him on a senior leadership team. And now his son, Isaac, pastors the Forerunner Church there. And Kirk um, runs three major divisions at IHOP. And, and, uh, and so... The Lord, again, back had told our family, how would you like to feel what it feels like to be homeless? I'm wanting to bring a dwelling place. I need you to, we're, we were moved out of our place down at Bright's Creek on Palmer Road. And it's like, go out with me. And so this family puts us up in an Airbnb. And then we're like, we don't know what to do. And then we're praying on a Friday. And Kara says, have you thought about talking to Adam Murray? And I said, no, I haven't. And then so I call Adam and Heather, and they so graciously put us up in their place and in their Airbnb. And so we're there, and I'm just like, Lord, what are you doing? And he said, I'm seeking a dwelling place. And uh, this ministry must cross the Jordan headed east now. And, um, and, 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 and I said, oh, well, I was reading this book. It's called King and Ken. That the Lord had told me to get like four weeks before that. And I was, I was reading it. And I'm reading this, th- this line and it says, King David sent for Zadok and Abathar to tell Judah to bring back the king back to his home. Um, or he says, why, ha- why is all of Israel receiving the king back? But Judah, which was David's family, is they didn't want the king to come back. I guess they kind of liked being in charge and stuff. They didn't want this guy to run the, run the government. They had kind of got in with Absalom, his son, because he was new and vibrant. And he was probably, you know, the new millennial. And, like, he had the great ideas and all that. And they're like, he's, he's up to date. And, you know, you're not, David, and whatever. And... And I, I was sitting there reading this the night, the night before something significant happens, and I'm like, oh, man, Zadok has to cue the return to cross the Jordan. Next day, i got to say a story because more of the storyline's unfolding. Next day, Rafi sends me this Facebook message, and it says, it's Brad McClendon, and it says, Jordan Crossing 318. Well, Rafi doesn't know, but I'm in this thing with the Lord of doing a thousand exercises, and I'm on the 317th exercise. 
And I'm about, I'm like two hours out from going to do the 318th exercise. And I'm like, it's the Lord. The Lord's saying, cross the Jordan. Now, the night before, I'm like, you got to cross the Jordan. But Zadok has to, he would have to show up. And But, you know, with God, you don't call people and be like, you need to show up. Because the Lord does not like that. Right? He doesn't want you to manipulate your place with him or make anything happen or put a bug in somebody's ear and turn the corner on it. He doesn't like that. Because, you know, Joseph did that, tried to get out of prison two years later. He gets out of prison because he, he tells the butler and the baker, hey, remember me, I'm in prison, you know. And uh, the Lord's like, two more year prison sentence. Because the Lord doesn't want us to grab hold of power or grasp for things in him. He wants to do it. He wants to be in charge of your life. And, and even if you have prophetic revelation about it. Anyways, um, next day. I finished the 318 workout, go to back to Adam and Heather's place. I'm standing out there and Adam and I spark up a conversation. And Benjamin, his son, sitting there in the truck. And he's right there in front of Wolfpen. And I'm like sitting there, I'm like, Lord, how can this be, you know? And I, we're talking and he's loving on Jesus. I'm loving on Jesus. And I was like, you got to have God's right hand, which Benjamin is known as the son of my right hand. And there's Benjamin. And there we are at Wolfpen, which is a symbol of the Benjamite tribe, the wolf. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, you know, y'all might think I'm crazy. Because I just, the way I view things, I'm like. And, I, and, I t and I'm telling Adam, I was like, but you can't just have the right hand of God. You need the left hand of God. And the left hand of God is the Levite Zadok. And right when I say that, my phone's in my pocket, my jacket, it, it uh, rings, vibrates. And I looked out, and it's Kirk Bennett from the Zadok House of Prayer in Kansas City. I'm thinking, why is he calling me? And I, I don't know if this happens to y'all, but this happens to me a lot. I dismiss usually what is the, and I was like, oh, it must be a pocket dial. Like, now, Kirk doesn't ever call me, just so y'all know. We don't communicate that much. I just said his name. We finished talking. I'm like, left hand of God, right hand of God. It stabilizes. God's move in the southern kingdom so you can advance for the northern campaign. I'm going through all this stuff, and I'm like, I leave there to go get Elizabeth from soccer, and I call Kirk, and he says, Carol, can you meet me? And I was like, what, well, you're in Kansas City? He's like, I'm in Asheville. I'm like, no way. No way. You were, you're in Asheville. He's never been to Asheville before, even though the Lord had a prophetic man tell him in 1982 or 83 that the Lord was going to set his feet down here and build his government and pour out his spirit and bring his glory into this city. And so we come over here, I meet with him, he comes to YMI and we talk and then we go and we sit down for four or five hours and just commune with the Lord about the, the move of God. And I knew from the Lord because this is never this is unprecedented 12 years now cross the jordan so after last week's event here i don't know if it was monday or tuesday i'm woke up by the lord real early and he says who else crosses the jordan two different ways from the west to the east and i was like i don't know and then he says 
Well, so I look it up. And it's, it's Elijah and Elisha. Elisha crosses west with Elijah, and then he crosses back east. Now, you have to understand, and this is in the heart of many of you here, because this matters to who you are. Elisha, remember him. He had, like, give up his family business. He had, he had left everything to follow the Lord, to follow Elijah. And he goes through this journey up through Bethel. He'll go to Gilgal. He'll go to Jericho. But then he'll come to Jordan, and Elijah will keep telling him, hey, I'm going over there, like, leave me alone. Now, most ministry leaders never do that to other people that follow, <laughs> right? I don't want you to follow, like, leave me alone. And you'll see that Jesus is kind of like this. Jesus doesn't make you sign up on his team. Like, remember John 6, he goes and offends everybody. In the synagogue, after he feeds everybody, he, he offends everybody he feeds, and then he goes and offends the whole leadership team, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Then he goes out of there, and it says many disciples left him. He looks at his guys, he says, you going to go away too? I mean, that's kind of how Jesus is. And Elijah's like that. Elijah's like, I don't care if you follow or not. I've got a mission, and I'm on my way to do what the Lord wants me to do. And Elisha's like, I'm following you. I'm going all the way with the Lord that's in you, Elijah. So Elisha, they end up crossing the Jordan heading west. And y'all know the story. And it's a, phenomenal, it's a phenomenal sermon. I mean, my father, my father. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful story of a man who's like goes all the way. Fifty other preachers are sitting there. I mean, these are the this is the end time, or not end time, but this we could tie it together like that. But this is the this is the prophetic cream of the crop are sitting there watching Elisha cross over with Elijah. They're not, they're they're sort of at a distance. There's something to be said about that. These are the school of the prophets. These are the these are the cream of the crop preachers, and they don't have the wherewithal to make that crossing. I mean, you'd think they'd all be like, we're crossing too. I'm not going to miss the mantle prophet. You know, a lot of times you can sit back and observe God, or you can get right in the middle of it with him. It's a different characterization to be an observer and to say, I'm in. I'm in all the way. No, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I lose. I don't care what they say. I don't care if they mock me. I don't care if they scoff. I don't care if we lose every dime we got. We're in this thing. And that, that's the nature of Elisha. He's, he's, man, he's going to do it. And so, I, I'm like, oh, he's the guy that crosses. And y'all, y'all know, Elijah in resurrection power is caught up to the, in a fiery chariot. That's some kind of dude right there. I mean, that's awesome. And he's like, I want what you got. Give me a double portion. He says, you ask a hard thing. You know why it was a hard thing? Because Elijah has to give him both his character and his anointing. I asked the Lord years ago, I said, what? Why is it a double portion? He says, because an anointing without character will corrupt you. 
He, he wasn't asking Elijah for just that, what people call a double anointing. He was asking for the character that goes with the anointing. Well, it goes with power so that the spirit and the power would come on Elisha, right? And, you know, how does Elisha cross the Jordan? This is crazy. The same way Moses kind of does. He takes a cloak that's flimsy, and I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if it just straightened out all at once. And he strikes the Jordan, and it goes back and dries up so he can cross over. That's like that thatched roof. That don't make a lick of sense. You don't take your clothes and throw them at water. You know what I mean? What God does is unconventional, and you see that every time in these miracle demonstrations. Well, the Lord speaks to me that morning. Elijah, Elisha, David, Absalom crossing going east and he says um you know where you've been living down at Bryce Creek on Palmer Road and I said yeah he said well that's like a place to like Elijah and Palmer and he says but what's coming will be like Elisha and something else and I I, I imagine it means the outpouring of his spirit or the dwelling place of God's coming because he promised this I'm gonna come down and I'm like, oh, well, I did, I, Kara gets up, we take the kids to school, we have our morning devotion together, drink our coffee. I tell her this story from the Lord. Later that afternoon, we're back home, the kids are home. Susanna comes up to me and she says, hey, daddy, daddy, I found this card on the floor. And I said, oh, what is it? She says, somebody's, like it says, blood blood card or something. And uh, just like me, I'm like, okay, we'll just put it over there. She says, no, Daddy. No, you need to read the name on that card. And I said, okay. And I, I look at it. It says Elijah Palmer. <laughs> yeah, way. And I'm like, and the word says to me, signs follow those that believe. Because I'm like, we're over there at home too on Airport Road in room 102. And I'm like, are we in the right room? Because I don't want anything that's not your will. I just want whatever it takes, Lord, to find a dwelling place for you. Whatever it takes, we're going to follow you. And, and it says on it, A positive for the blood. Guys, you can't, I can't, you can't do stuff like that. The Lord tells me that morning, it's like Elijah has into Palmer and you can ask Kara because I told her that. And then the guy's name on the card that left it in the room, 102, is Elijah Palmer. And I'm like, oh, Lord. And I felt like the Lord said to me, you've known my presence, but you haven't tasted power yet. And I'm going to pour out my power on this ministry. And I I felt like he said, y'all have known John the Baptist, but you're going to know me as Jesus the Nazarene. You know, John's like, repent! You know, I mean, get in the presence of the Lord, repent! Who told you to flee from the coming wrath? I mean, he's an aggressive, hairy man. Who told you to run from him in repentance? Come to him. And John's like, I don't know if y'all have watched The Chosen. 
But when you hear like Philip and the Chosen talk about John and this wild man out in the wilderness, and I mean, because John's ministry is so phenomenal to me personally. To contend for the presence of God. I can't imagine what Jesus' ministry is now. Like, I'm like, who are you, God? Because we, we say his name. We talk about him every week. But in some way, I realize that we haven't touched into who he is. I, 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 I got woke up with this this morning. I was like, we don't know you really like as you really are when Jesus walks into the room. I mean, we've tasted your presence. Yes. But he's like, I'm going to deliver my power. And uh, I was like, I, you know, who are you, Lord? I heard Philip, you know, because I said, because I don't know, when you see the chosen, you got to watch it. When Philip goes to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, and I've said this, and Nathaniel's like laughing to Nazareth, yeah. I mean, because Nathaniel was an up-and-coming architect in the film, and he's like, Nazareth, whatever. That's the bumpkins, man. And he blasts Philip out, and Philip's like, no, man, I've made a transition. He's the real guy. And I was telling Kara, I said, I think I would have been a huge skeptic of Jesus, personally. Because I'd be like, yeah, right, the Messiah you know, I mean, I, I think that there is some atheism and skepticism within God's house. Because I, I was like thinking, if I was Nathaniel, and I probably would have said the same thing. You mean that? Li- I mean, he's like, they're, most of those people are illiterate. That's what Nathaniel tells him. He said, they can't even like hardly write or speak or they don't, their dialect is off. I mean, he's kind of like laughing Philip to scorn. And remember, Nathaniel has no guile in his mouth. That means whatever he says is really true. It's not like he's downing someone socially because he's so pretentious. He's just saying the truth of Nazareth. I mean, who is this king that comes out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from the hood? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's like, who are you? Because it's all been here for all these years. It's been like, press into the presence, get the presence, get the presence of God. Repent, 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 repent. And he says, John will say this. He said, one who is mightier than I is coming. I'm not even worthy of him tie his shoes. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. And I got to say, like, let nothing of our heart resist this man from Nazareth. Let nothing of our heart resist this Nazarene. I don't know you, Lord. I, I, I feel like, who are you, Lord? Philip will say that to him. He says, show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
I, I didn't realize this, but they did such a beautiful job in the chosen of showing Philip. And I, I don't know if it's like extra biblical. I think it is, but that Philip had made that transition between John and Jesus. And in all seriousness, he's not playing around in that film with Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says to him, you never talk to me like something like this. I'm paraphrasing, but I see in your eyes, you're not playing games. That man, Philip, was serious, man. He was telling him, this is the real Messiah. This is the very Son of God. Do you see what that kind of faith is? Do you see what Jesus is looking for out of us? And I, 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 I realize I was very grateful to be in our condition as a family. Very grateful. I'm very grateful. Uh, we didn't, Kara had taken a car yesterday, and I was with three of the children. We didn't have a car, and we just walked down to Target because it's right through the woods. And the kids are like, man, he's like, we can't do this, Dad. I was like, yes, we can. We can walk right down there, and we'll go in there, and I'll buy you all some candy. I was like, but what would it be like? And they're feeling it, and I'm feeling it too, to walk through a parking lot and through people where they shop and they drive all there without a car and without really having a home. Something inside of me started to like understand him a little bit, that he was out there. And that he all these conventions that we use and stuff, he was not like that. And that, I don't know, I had this surreal sense that who knows where he'll take us. And to be divested of one's own transportation there for a little bit, it's not permanent on us or housing. And we have a place to put our heads down, thank God. But it started making me think, and especially watching the chosen, I just sat there and wept and wept and wept because he had stayed out in the third episode. He stays out and they're all talking. They get in this big conflict over left and right ideologies of, I kept the law, you didn't, Matthew. And they're all mad at each other. And about to stand up, and there's James and John standing up against Peter and Andrew, like going to stick their chest out, like, we kept the law of God. And the other one, who do you think you are, Matthew? And don't you mess with me. And then there comes Jesus. He's been healing people all day. He's got blood on his face, the blood on his hands, and he's loving mankind. And I was like, I want to be like you. Like, I want to be like you. And I don't know how to do it, and I don't know where this is going. But we want Jesus, we want you, Jesus of Nazareth. I remember this story. It was involved my dad's pastor, Brother Gentry, in the Nazarene church in downtown Hendersonville. One day I was writing a paper for the seminary on sanctification and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I called Miss Gentry because Brother Gentry had passed on and went home to be with the Lord. And I called her and I was doing an, uh, sort of an interview with her. And her name's Persady, right, Dad? I said, Mrs. Gentry, I said, um, could you tell me what happened to Brother Gentry? And he said, yeah. They were meeting in this little church that was right next to um, the Nazarene church there in the base or in that area, that, I think that basement. Is that right, Dad? On First Avenue. Same church Adam and Heather went for a long time, which is called Vision Jesus or something like that. Vision. And they were meeting in there, and Persady 
Miss Gentry, she told me that Gentry got so hungry for the Lord that he started fasting his lunch every day. And he worked over in one of the, do you know, Dad? In Caplant. Professional painter. And he, he worked in there and he was, he was pastoring this little small, in that little small church. And they're having good meetings and stuff. But she said he got so hungry for the Lord. So he started fasting his lunch every day. He said, I want, I want the Lord. And he works hard all day, so fasting your lunch is pretty significant. If you're a working man or, or even a lady and you know taking your lunch like that, especially if you do physical labor, that's a sacrifice because you need that lunch a lot of times just to get you through the day. She said he'd go on top of the building and just pray the whole time. He wanted the Lord. And... Um, there's a lot of his background because he had contracted tuberculosis and then the Lord will heal him of TB. And then he goes into, after he gets healed, he's like starts to pursue the Holy Spirit. I want you, Lord, more than anything. And he's fasting. He's starting to pray for the sick and things like that. And she said that, um, again, we were in that little building there. And uh, with the Nazarene church. And... Um, she said one day, it was a Sunday, and she said my husband was in our bedroom and he was sitting on the corner of the bed and I guess he had his foot up and he was putting his shoes on for that Sunday service. And she said, Carol Jr., they called me Little Carol. He said, Little Carol, you're not going to believe what happened next. And I don't even tell this story very often because it's so unbelievable to people. But she said... And while he was sitting there putting on his shoe and he had been seeking God all this time, the Lord appears to him in his bedroom over in the corner. And he speaks to Wyatt Gentry and he says to him, Abraham believed me and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And she said, my husband jumped up off the side of his bed pointed back at the Lord and said, and I believe you too. And she said, what happened to him after that? He, he changed. She said, fire came down on him. And that little church that the Murrays were meeting in, she said they couldn't contain the people that came into that room because the fire of God baptized, Holy Ghost baptized the man. And they built that church. And they had big camp meetings. And, you know, we grew up in that. Dad was a pastor there, associate. I, I was dedicated there after one week, old. And I, I, I believe this message, that we could get to a place of repentance. And I, I felt like the Lord said, showed me this with the card this week, A+. Plus. I felt like he was giving our ministry an A+. Plus. To all of us. He was saying, it's not just a positive blood. It's been done by my blood. But I bought, brought this ministry to a place of the Baptist. You believed me. You've trusted me. You give yourself to me. You know what it is to come into my presence. 
But I want you to cross over. And man, I don't care what it takes. And I, I hope that you feel the same desire inside of yourself. I believe this is why we've gathered. That the Lord, just like you did Gentry that day, just like you did Elisha, that a double blessing would come down on this house and he would begin to convert the lost and save mankind and turn this nation towards himself. But he, he look, he's looking at us. The Lord is. He's wanting to see. He's looking at us and his eyes are going throughout the earth looking for a place. And I'm not, I'm telling you, I'm committed to this. And uh, I don't care what it takes. And I believe you are too. But committed to a house and a people that will see the glory of the Lord. That's why we're here. Listen. And the Lord's calling the shots on it. Two days later, Brad Ames calls me. And he said, the Holy Spirit woke me up this morning and said, you crossed the Red Sea, but now you will cross the Jordan. I mean, he doesn't even know. Right after the Elijah Palmer word, he doesn't even know. And I said, oh, Lord. We're in a prayer meeting Friday, this Friday, at the Weatherman's house, which was so amazing. John Harris sends me a word right in the middle of it. About a man building his house on a rock instead of on... The, you know, the sand. And, and I knew that the Lord was looking for bedrock in us, that he was, he had dug down until he found something where we would be like, I will stand on the solid rock of Jesus. And I will not be moved, right? I'll move out in faith and trust you, Lord, with my whole heart. And I, John sends that right in the middle of the prayer meeting. Rafi says this word, and I, and I, and I believe that this is where There was so much that happened in the room. But he gives this word, and I, and I believe that, that I, I was sitting there, and the word says to me, ask me how I come down. And I said, Lord, how do you come down? And he shows me, Exodus 33, how he come down out of Paran. And that he'll descend. And the word gives me this kind of picture of like a diamond. Uh, it goes up like this and then back like this. And he said, your ministry is going down into Jordan. I'm up here. I'm going to meet you on the other side. I'm going to descend while y'all ascend. And then I just asked everybody if you have a word. And Rafi gives this word. And I just want to say it out loud because I want this to be marked. What's being said and what's happening in this ministry. I want it to be recorded. So that they'll say, what happened there? And they'll say, it's all recorded. You can hear it for your very own self before he comes or whatever he decides to do with us. It says on the first day of the month, uh, Ezra 7 verse 9, on the first day of the first month, he had determined to make the ascent from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he arrived at Jer Jerusalem. For the good hand of God was on him. And I, I realize, you know, Babylon really is that depth of, you know, nothingness. 
But it said the good hand of God was on him and that he arrived at Jerusalem some four months later. And I don't know if the Lord's like giving us a prophetic timetable. I, I don't want to say anything like that because I can't say. But I, I can tell you the first day of the fifth month is August, uh, I believe, the 9th of this year. But I'm not putting a timetable on God with that. I'm just saying that that's, that is the literal date of the first day of the fifth month. <clears throat> but they arrived, they came up and ascended out of Babylon into Jerusalem. And I, I, I really believe that the Lord was saying that. And then Tom McManus says he had a vision of like a man who's in prison, but he's not in prison anymore. Like the walls weren't containing him and like he wasn't pressed into that prison anymore. He just knew he was free and it didn't matter anymore. And I really got the picture from Tom and Tom actually brings this out that just like King David, he didn't need to go get himself out of that place anymore. He had found freedom in the Lord. I believe that that is the epitome of what happens when you embrace the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah. You're free. When you have the heart of the Father and you don't monetize yourself anymore or others, and you're not ripping anybody off or trying to manipulate anybody, you're free. When you know that the Father loves you and delights in you and you need nothing else but the Father, you've tasted the baptism of John. Because you're not fighting for your own position anymore. You know he's got it. You're not trying to make anything happen or anything like that. But there is this baptism of Jesus that follows that. I mean, there's a great promise, and Janie brought this up too. There's this great promise to us that Israel and Judah will be united. The Lord's going to bring the multi-different tribes together and and bring an outpouring of His Spirit on this nation. I was shared 12 years ago, and I can't go through all of it, but one day an eastern gate would open up, and the Lord would flood this nation with His Spirit and cause a great awakening to come. And we have stood on that now for 12 years, believing, and we're, I believe we're right at the precipice. I got, again, this morning I get... In the presence of the Lord, and, it, and I'm reading Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis, and he's talking about being right on the precipice to see the glory of God come. And I was like, that's where we're at. So let us dedicate ourselves. Let us continue in our dedication. Let us seek the face of God like now, like never before. Let us be... This will go down, and th 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 you and I are making history together right now. A historical move of God's Spirit w will come, and is coming, and it will happen. The Lord is calling the shots. The Lord began this work, and He'll finish it. And I, and I, and I want to say this. It's even greater than the constituency that He'll add to His houses, because He will reap a great harvest. It's great because He is. It's great because He deserves all the glory. It's great because of Him. Yes, I mean, He'll save a bunch of people and He loves to do that. But it's all going to be great because He deserves it. Because He's the one who is the righteous heir of the earth. And He's the righteous God. And He, he deserves all the glory and all the honor. And let us be marked today. 
Renew your commitment if you need to. Sign up again. I know our family, it's a daily signing up. I sign up again, whatever it takes to see you demonstrate that you are respected and honored and revered, Lord, whatever it takes, we're in. What dad's saying is that church uh, in North Carolina, the Nazarene church, out of all the Nazarene churches that were in the state of North Carolina, it was the largest church uh, because it grew to over 700 people and they were really like taking the city for Christ. Sixth grade education. So what can, God, what can God do with us? Imagine, you know, Holy Ghost fire. The fire of God falls on his people. And he set us all up for this. Everybody in this room. And the ones that are not with us today that are in heart with us. That Many people had to be at different places today. But there, we are one heart and one mind. In one place that we would, that we have been prepared by the Lord for this. That each one of you have been prepared by the Lord. That you have been marked by Him. You've been made ready for Him. For a historic move. Alright, let's take up our morning offering. Lord, thank You. Thank You for making us and preparing us, preparing a place where You can dwell. Pray that, Lord, that, it, that you've been teaching us, Lord, not to grasp at anointings or grasp at power or at favor, Lord, that we'd be so content in you as Father that you could empower us to go out and reach in the way that you would lead us to. We pray, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that that longing that each one of us has for another, for another city, The long for you, that you're the builder and you're the maker. 
want to long for you alone, Lord. Nothing else but you will, will satisfy us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Bless you as you give. come forward we're going to have communion now and so just um, come forward and then we'll take communion as a family together
Jesus, we recognize this morning that that by your death and by your burial, by your resurrection and your ascension, that we are able to stand here and be known by you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We honor you, Lord. On that night, the Lord, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you do this in remembrance of me may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you may the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace amen bless you today